Good evening and welcome to Horror. I'm Lee. I'm Chris. I'm Adam. We are <laughs> here for the second half of our exhaustive but incredibly entertaining uh, Hand of the Baskervilles uh, deep dive, I guess you'd call it. This, this has been this has been the mm. deepest dive we've ever done. It has. This yeah. is knee deep in the Sherlock. But it's amazing. It certainly is. It's amazing how all four of them, I'll try and leave the original, the, the hammer one out of tonight and, and not keep going back to it. But it's amazing how the same story can be told in such entirely different styles. And I love every single one of them in its own way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. A, that is a spoiler alert. There will be spoilers uh, and there will be swearing, but you know it's 100 years old. If you don't know the story of the Hand of Basketball. Hopefully. And if you listen to our last episode, you may have a little hint as to what happens in the story. Yes, that's very true. Uh, so without further ado, we are going to skip our what we've been watching uh, segment again, as we did last week, because we've got a lot to cover. Uh, and also, but very quickly before I do that, I just want to say I have watched another of the Masters of Horror. I watched Homecoming last night, the Joe Dante Ooh. one. Yes. How was that? Good. Very yeah, good. Yeah, and it's a good run. We've just watched Joe Dante. The next one is Dear Woman with John Landis. And I think after that mm. is John Carpenter's Cigarette Burns. So Ooh. what a trilogy. Yeah. I'll tell you what, that's that's the weird thing is because you get, I personally think that might be why they stuck Dance of the Dead right near the beginning. Mm. Because literally the quality just really ramps up as it sort of, this sort of oh. run through, yeah. Mm. Can't wait for that. Right, so uh, as previously mentioned, we've covered three versions of the Hand of the Baskervilles. We have covered the... Da, 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 he stalls while he goes on IMDb. We've covered the Jeremy <laughs> Brett Granada version from 1988. We have covered the Pete and Dud version from 1978. And we have also covered the uh, Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss version from 2012. 12, yeah. Yeah. It's funny because it still seems like it was two years ago. I think that's because yeah. I'm getting old as dirt. Um, the weirdest thing is, is watching it, is 2012, because that series of Sherlock, the, the first episode when was broadcast over New Year's Day. Mm. So, like the, so, so it was 2000 and, like... January 1st, 2012 was when it went on. And then they just showed the next three over the course of a week. Oh, nice. And, well, it was great, apart from how long it then got before you got a fucking third series. Yeah. Because you've been building up to it, and they literally sort of like just, they just shot your wad in a week. And you're like, <laughs> oh, fuck, we're not getting another series of this for ages because they're all big stars now. Oh, shit. Mm. Um, and also, and this is, this needs to go on record. Mm -hmm. When you those bits of him up on the tour on Dartmoor, like Benedict yeah. Cumberbatch, um, all those shots were in a trailer, and the music was David Holmes' uh, story of the ink, mm -hmm. and it was like the BBC's trailer for Sherlock, and it was first shown straight after the 2011 Doctor Who Christmas special. And that advert was the best thing about the Doctor Who 2011 <laughs> Christmas special. Yikes. Which was 
fucking shocking. Oh, really? Oh, and, no. And thank you, thank you, Sherlock, for just not making me, like, take a header out of a window. Because <laughs> it was just so, it was just piffle. And, um, yeah, so that. <laughs> well, thank you for, for giving it. I'm sure you won't be the only one who thinks that. So uh, I'm sure that oh, man. people but, in the audience will be agreeing. Arabella Weir and Bill Bailey are in it. Wasted. <clears throat> and you're just like. No, no, you, you, no. This is, this, this is absolute twaddle. No. Anyway, sorry, we're here for sure. We are. Um, Adam, as this is your brainchild, which of the three <laughs> would you like to start with? Um, well, I mean, we've got options. We've got chronology. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which would be Pete and Dad, Jeremy Brett, and um, Sherlock. Or, and this might be the more interesting way to go with it, is maybe look at the Jeremy Brett first because that's yeah. the closest to the salt material. And obviously, you've read the book, so you can sort of see I was, that that is definitely the closest of any of them. I was absolutely staggered how close it is because a lot of the others cut, mm. you know, they cut Laura Lyons out and stuff, obviously, for runtime. Um, yeah, everything in it, like even the you know the dialogue is almost pitch perfect. But before I, mm. I, I get way too excited because I love this version. Uh, Chris, is this your first introduction to Jeremy Brett's Sherlock? Yes, yeah, oh, welcome. Yeah, so so, <laughs> so I was I was gonna say is that the closest adaptation? It sort of had you know the feel out of all of these that it. it I mean, I assumed Pete and Dud and Sherlock was not. <laughs> Um, but I wasn't sure, yeah, which was closest out of Hammer and Jeremy Brett. I, I kind of thought it was Jeremy Brett. And yeah, the, the Hammer version, like we said, definitely ramps the the sort of horror element of it and changes mm. who the villain is at the end as yeah, well. Okay. Because you have, um, right, I, I mean, fuck me, how many times have I watched this story in the past two weeks? And I still can't. <laughs> Can't remember her well, name. Yeah, Miss, but that's Miss after Stapleton. watching all of them, it does get a bit Beryl Stapleton. Mixed up. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and she becomes the villain rather than the sort of heroine mm. in the Hammer version. But also, Jeremy Brett's one starts with "You're in two two one B," and someone and Doctor Mortimer comes in and reads the story, which is how all of them have it, apart mm. from the Hammer one, which just starts yeah. slap bagging yeah. in that story. That's and right. It's like. Yeah. Oh, this, oh, right, okay, and now we're now with Dr. Mortimer, and oh, that must be Sherlock Holmes, okay, that's been like 15 yeah. minutes of debauched chaos. <laughs> yeah. so, I'd kind of forgotten about that. So, yes, I mean, this one, mm. the, interestingly enough, the one thing, and correct me if I'm wrongly, because you've read it recently, doesn't Lestrade turn up towards the end of Hand of the Baskervilles? Uh, yes, yes. So um, on the, the final day, um, yeah, yeah uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes calls, uh, sends a telegram and gets him to come down. And it's the three of them who are laying in wait. So in the Jeremy Oh, Brett yeah, because they pretend to go back to London, don't they? Yes. And, they and that's when they meet up with Lestrade, who's coming in. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in the, uh, in the Jeremy Brett one, of course, they take Dr. Mortimer with them as their, their third man. Yeah. Which kind, which kind of works better, and it's kind of a nice little character touch where 
how sort of pleased he is that they say um, we would, you know, you brought us, you brought me the case. So I'd like to, would you like to be there for the end of it? Yeah. You know, it's a really lovely touch, but it's, but then it's weird because obviously Sherlock, which the uh, Moffat and Gate Sherlock one from 2012, then kind of is the only one that brings the Strade in of any of the adaptions I've seen of Hound of the Baskervilles. Yeah. Despite how sort of completely different their plot and story and yeah. everything is. Yeah. Um, but it's the only one that sticks to that of having Lestrade turn up, which is uh, just a, which I just thought was a weird, uh, a weird thing. But These obviously, look- in this, so you've got Jeremy Brett's Holmes. What did you think, Chris? I mean, he is, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can see you know it's, it's well done. It's and obviously, if it follows the the story the closest, that it's mm. going to be kind of a classic for that reason. It, it gets a little harder. Uh, Perhaps I should have watched that where I watched that one most recently. But yeah, after seeing Pete and Dud, a lot of that sticks in the mind. Um, I, at the moment, even just that scene, and obviously I've gone completely away from Jeremy Brett, but <laughs> like how long they can make a scene about a one-legged man going for a job where two legs is really the oh, minimum yes. requirement I, for yeah, this think... job. And, and how gently he tries to go through. It's like... I think that is actually a Pete and Dud sketch that they had adapted yeah. to fit uh, into okay. the show. It did, it did seem a bit <laughs> random, really, but just because um, the it whole thing, like, if you said, like, they're going to make this comedy of this story, you'd think, hmm, I don't know if that'll work. It's, the well, the weird thing is, and this is another thing that I think is great about watching them all, mm. is how accurate Pete and Dud's version is mm. to the Follows. story. Yeah. Because yeah. you get, I, I mean, admittedly, it's in a different reason because Holmes <sighs> does stay in London. He doesn't travel down to mm. Dartmoor and stalk them. Um, he does stay in London to visit a brothel <laughs> and take his laundry round to his mum's. <laughs> But it still has that thing going on, and you've still got all mm. the characters. You've got Mortimer, you've got the mm. Barrymores or the Barrymans, I think they are in the Pete Dud one, mm. and it sort of oddly sticks quite close to the plot. Yeah, of, broadly you know, it follows it all. Of events. The, yeah, the details are very different. Mm. Oh, exceedingly, yeah. But, but yeah, I think um, I think you can see now. Uh, Chris White, Adam and I are all, I'm sure we've mentioned um, Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes multiple times over the last hundred odd episodes. I I think Mm. once you've seen Jeremy Brett do Sherlock Holmes, nobody else will do. I mean, I I love the Benedict Cumberbatch ones because they're a very different thing, but he's just got it. And especially when you read it, as as I say, because I literally, I watched the Jeremy Brett one and then read the book over the next three days. And the way his mannerisms are described, mm. he just puts them exactly as, as you imagine it. He's, it I, I think, Adam, you, we discussed it before. I think we were saying there's a famous photograph of him with this old copy of, of the book. Yes. Um, offset, and yeah. it's so battered where he literally lives mm. with the damn thing. Like, everything is so close to that book. Because he got, because that was the thing, is he got kind of into it much the same as you got with Peter Cushing, where Peter Cushing sort of brought his own clothes and was suggesting lines because he was a real Sherlock aficionado, uh, Sherlock Holmes, mm. Conan Doyle aficionado. And Jeremy Brett 
really did much the same. He really dove into them and studied them and pulled them apart. And that leads right. There is a picture of it. If I can find it, I'll put it up on the Instagram. Um, and it's just Jeremy Breton. He's holding his complete Sherlock Holmes collection. Which I and have. It's like Thank a, you, Madam. It's like a leather um, bound thing. Is it like sort of like it's like quite a nice copy, but yeah. it is fucked. Where he has just poured through it, and there's annotations and big bits of paper stuck in there, and it's falling apart. It, but it's it's turned into like this sort of like maniac's phone book <laughs> of like sort of stuff. But it's all where Jeremy Brett sort of like was just like, and he much like Peter Cushion, he was, but so much more so because obviously he was doing it for a longer time. Mm. So he was putting in a lot of the stuff, such as um, like nailing the cor the letters to the mantelpiece with a knife and things like that, and mm. uh, keeping tobacco in a slipper that hangs off the side of the mantelpiece, and you know, and and ITV like Granada when they were producing it, they really it was like. That was their flagship, you know. They okay, were like, yeah. really going to put everything into this, wow. and it shows because the the Baker Street set is, um, I, I mean, I presume it's gone now, but the Baker Street set was next to their Coronation Street set, mm. and it was a permanent set. So that whole street that they go down is a is a backlot mm. that they had. I just and checked. They did th between the three seasons. So between, mm. um, sorry, let me just bring it up. Um, so the adventures of Sherlock Holmes was 13. Then the return yep. of Sherlock Holmes was 11. And then the case yep. books of Sherlock Holmes was nine. So there were 33 episodes they did in total. That's crazy. And there's the memoirs as well. Oh. So casebook, I think it's casebook is six. Oh yeah, and you're right. Another six. six. Yeah. Yeah, and the oh no, yeah, it's nine with casebook because they would include the specials. Hmm. So Hound of the Baskervilles, um, yeah, because they did. So the first series was the first two series were called Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, and it was a different guy playing Watson. There's uh, hmm. an actor called David Burke who was a proper dashing sort of Watson. It's a, he's a really, really good Watson. You have seen him, actually, Chris. He's in two of the ghost stories for Christmas. Yes. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yes. He's, he, yeah, he was in the um, number 13 and... Yeah. Uh, oh, he's in... From um, the Hill. That's it. Sorry, thank you, yeah. Um, yeah, and he's in that as, like, uh, an older... Obviously, well, obviously, an older gentleman because you know this was the eight. This was early eighties, and yeah, and but he's like a really good foil to Jeremy Brett, and so. But the good thing, but sorry, the good thing is, um, so Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, which was eighty four and eighty five, ends with the final problem, which is the story where Conan Doyle killed off Sherlock Holmes. Um, yeah, and then, yeah. Uh, but then. David Burke, who was originally playing Watson, left to join the Royal Shakespeare Company. So 
the actor who you saw in Hand of the Baskervilles is a guy called Edward Hardwick, um, who then is Watson for the rest of the series. But the clever, sort of clever or accidentally brilliant thing, serendipitous uh, thing, is that Edward Hardwick is an older man. You know, he's he's a probably I think he's about sort of like ten years older than uh, David Burke, and so when Holmes comes back in because they do the next two series, then called The Return of Sherlock Holmes, which was 86 mm. to 88. And they start with the story of the empty house where Holmes comes back. But Holmes is meant to have been missing for about three years. Uh, yeah. or, 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 you know, declared dead for three years. And so it's quite nice because it is like Watson has aged mm. in that time. And he's sort of, yeah, he's, but yeah. And I, I but it's really weird. I can't really separate between the two yeah because i think they both really did it so well but they do it in a different context because edward hardwick's only doing it from the point of the watson who loses his friend and mm. mourns him and moves on and then holmes comes back and um yeah and but they but during those ones they did two feature-length specials of two of the novels sign of the four uh, sorry, The Sign of Four and Hand of the Baskervilles, which is the one we watched. And then mm. it went on, they did a fifth series called The Casebook of Sherlock Holmes, which was a series and three of the feature-length uh, stories as well, which is like Sussex Vampire and a couple of others. And then the final series in 94 was The Memoirs of Sherlock Holmes. And the only reason they stopped was because um, uh, Jeremy Brett died in, 90, in 1995. And that's, you know, that was that was the reason they stopped. But they actually did, um, there's 60 stories in total, like Conan Doyle stories, and they, they adapted 42 of them mm. uh, over, the, over the time. So, you know, they, there was, and to be fair, I think a few of the ones that they sort of didn't do were, you know, they were running out of ones that had a bit of meat to them. Mm. Rather, you know, it was getting to the point where it was like, oh, this this is maybe a 10-page story, but we'll turn it into a special or something like that. Yeah. So it's sort of, yeah. But he's, he's just got that... I, I love his facial expressions, because I, although it isn't funny, I do find myself laughing the whole... Just with admiration for his abilities as an actor. I mean, he just... Like his little things, like his little snide comments and laughs and the way he sort of his eyes dart about and he's got that he's described mm. in the book as being having like a cat-like agility and i think jeremy mm. brett does that fantastically in not so much in this uh, but yeah in but the what, yeah, series, he sort of, he launches he, over he, the sofa sometimes and he just does like mad stuff that's yeah perfect to the book and he's sort of like that cat thing he does there's bits where he sort of he's literally sprawled <laughs> and just leaps up and it's like, right, come on, Watson, we're going, you know, and it's sort of, it is that same sort of thing of like from absolute lethargy to, um, you know, sort of right, right action now. Yeah. And, um, but I think, um, yeah, I think that uh, they, it's really, it's really interesting over the time as well, because they kind of not, not to the detriment of it or anything else like that 
but they do explore the fact that Holmes is probably driving himself mad, mm. um, which is again something that sort of uh, Sherlock touches on, which is much more the sort of a human characteristic, you know, the more of, of this inhuman sort of person. Because yeah. funnily enough, that was that was something that Claire said about with uh, Sherlock. Is she said, is he? Is he as sort of rude, abrupt, and clearly sort of, you know? Men- I said, is he a dick? Yeah, that was, yeah <laughs> actually, that was the term. Yeah, and it's Very a weird thing because I think just Holmes's character translated to now is much more abrasive than it appears in a Victorian setting mm. because everyone was much more reserved or you know people weren't quite as touchy feely or so sort of, do you know what i mean people weren't really everyone was like, yes good evening sir and uh, and how may i help you and uh, i'll bring you through and uh, if you'd like to sit there and uh, i'll tell you a story <laughs> of once when i found a magic whistle but uh, other than that we shall re- we shall not become close so and um it is, and it's, it's like you say, like with his delivery to uh, to Mortimer when he's talking about his skull, and he sort of kind of laughs mm. and puts his hand up. He says, "Behave yourself and sit down." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think yeah. That's, that's the thing. Yeah. He, they bring out that proper humour, and it brings out that lovely Holmes Watson interplay mm. as well. Yeah, I um, I love the look of the Jeremy Brett one as well. They seem to get that sort of that Victorian look. As you say, I mean, mm. because it's obviously a permanent set, it's it's a lot better dressed and everything. But yeah, it just it's got such an amazing feel, and it does all the way through, you know, all four of the series. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's one of the things I like most about it is its look and feel. It's it's very low grade color. Everything looks realistic, unlike the Hammer one where you know all the reds and everything yeah. are turned up to eleven. On this, mm. it's a lot more dialed down. It's got a really nice natural feel to it, and it feels kind of smoggy and yeah, yeah, you know, cold almost. And again, that's that's a lovely scene where it's like when Watson comes in and he's just coughing because he's just been sat in there smoking all yeah. afternoon. <laughs> and it's just this atmosphere is poisonous. <laughs> <laughs> Again, that that's what another... they get. That's they get that Watson Holmes affectionate sort of uh, interplay quite well. It's like that, like the bit where he's um, he gives him the food that he's cooked. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sorry, this is quite disgusting. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just great. Just love those two together. And as you say, with the with the previous Watson as well, I thought they worked really well. So mm. yeah, I was glad they got someone they replaced them with someone as good because when it when I first watched them the first time round, uh yeah, and I saw that Watson had changed, I was like, Oh, those two work so well together. I'm not sure if it's gonna carry over so well. But yeah, it, it did. It was as you say, almost seamless. So I think I think because I was a bit too young because when I was watching it when it because I sort of watched it a rep, pretty much as it went out, mm. um, and um, I think I'm just a bit too young to remember David Burke, mm. like that because that would have been like '84 or whatever like that. So 
in my head, it was always Edward Hardwick Moore. So when I went back and saw the earlier ones, I had that same thing of like, oh, am I going to? And actually, it's like, no, no, he's brilliant. Because the the weird thing was is that the Sherlock Holmes or Conan Doyle's estate were very old, um, sniffy about who adapted Sherlock Holmes. Mm. And they would never let an ITV company, um, which for American listeners, it's the first independent television company is ITV. And it's a series of local franchises, essentially. Is that what the I stands for? Yes. Independent (laughs) television. (laughs) Never knew that. Yeah. And so, um, because obviously BBC is state, so it was meant to be, and that's mm. why it's commercials and so on and so forth. Each day, and, um, millions of viruses. And the, the... Sorry, I was trying to open another tab on my... Uh, on my uh, to look, I was trying to remember who played... Because I was going to say, they're not sniffy now because they let, and I couldn't remember Robert Downey Jr.'s name. So I was just opening another IMDb tab and yeah. it had a fucking advert on it. So I apologise. Oh, what did they let him do? do Sherlock Holmes. Two of them. Did they? Yeah. Guy Ritchie fucking directed them. Mm. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I haven't seen them, I'll be honest. I've seen them you, both. I, I was going to say, you've never really spoke that highly of them. So I'm like, no. Because <laughs> I, me and you, te- we, we agree very much on Sherlock. Yes. Of what's good and bad. So, um, was Guy Ritchie Lockstock? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's probably the only film I think I know of from him. It's a little bit like it's lots of like fast cut editing and like okay. tricks. Well, so, I mean, some of it's I might not hate that. It's got its all right bits. Like mm. when you see at, at one point Watson goes to find Sherlock Holmes and he's basically involved in an illegal brawl uh, in a warehouse. <laughs> with a load of people mm. watching. Um, and it's always said that because Holmes is so smart, he is a very good fighter because he thinks everything through. Mm. Yeah, okay. And they do like a thing where you see him. So the other guy comes towards him and you see him anticipate and run through yeah. all the ways the fight can go yeah, before okay. it actually kicks up, which, you know, is a nice Yeah, touch. You have reminded me, I, I did quite like that effect in Sherlock where they show his mind working and they show the different graphics text coming up. The Mind mind Palace. Mind Palace, yeah. like That is quite a nice way to sort of really see a mind at work. Mm. Um, Yeah, it does let you sort of fully appreciate it. Sherlock also has has that lovely thing of doing text messaging as subtitles. I love that. I think that's such a clever way of getting that information across. Which which I understand was, um, that was the, that was something that the uh, director brought in. Ah. Um, it was the same director as the film Gangster Number One, I, oddly. Um, but yeah, that was um, like that was a technique he introduced into it. Like Moffat and Gatiss said, "Oh no, that was entirely him. Mm. We just thought okay. it was brilliant, so we we ran with it, you know." Yeah. But um, but yeah, so basically, the Conan Doyle estate were very sort of like sniffy about who they'd let adapt the thing. And then in 1980, I think it was 1984, they, um, the 100 years copyright on the first batch of Sherlock Holmes stories uh, finished. Yeah. So um, 
yeah, so it's 100 years is like literary copyright. And then after that, so at that point, ITV knew they would be, a, like an ITV company would then be able to adapt it because they didn't have to seek those rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, the thing becomes public domain uh, to a greater or lesser extent. I still think they, you know, there's no doubt royalties and things go somewhere, but yeah. basically, yeah, anyone can anyone can adapt them. And it's just so ironic that they'd obviously been really champing at the bit to do these mm-hmm. and like Conan Doyle estate were just like no you're not doing it because you're tawdry and you're ITV and we don't even have ITV in this house um, and um, yeah it turns out they do like the most consistent sort of TV adaption of Sherlock Holmes that is extremely true to the stories and extremely true to the sort of characters and everything else like that mm. um i think that's a good but, point actually you you mentioned there about um about the expanded universe i mentioned previously that i'd read you know the george mann books and stuff um mm-hmm. but again enola holmes came out that not that long ago uh netflix have had a real go at it because they did that and they did um the irregulars as well which was yes a little bit of a miss for me but not terrible um and as I as I mentioned, the Warlock Holmes. So I was really trying mm. to read the Warlock Holmes version of the Hand of the Baskervilles as well for tonight. Um, unfortunately, I've only gotten halfway through it and run out of time. Um, but yeah, they're fantastic as well. So it's lovely that this material is out there and people are able to expand on the universe. And in the case of Warlock Holmes kind of basically rewrite the entire thing, but with a strange slant on it and make it, like laugh out, yeah, I mean, that, laugh that, out loud, laughing, reading through. Yeah. fantastic. Uh, it's impressive, but it does seem funny to think because, uh, like, how you could easily adapt sort of the crucial element of the hound into something that's warlock based seems. So, so I haven't gotten to the actual hound yet. But yeah. Just to give you an okay. idea of what the books are like. So it starts off as it does in the Hand of the Baskervilles with uh, Sherlock and Watson at 221B and Sherlock is agitated. But in the book, the reason Mm. he's agitated is because he's got a sneeze coming all morning and he can't get it out. (laughs) He eventually sneezes and sneezes out the walking stick, which Watson then takes and does all of his deductions. So when he turns up at the door and they say, oh, yes, we know it's you. We knew you were coming and blah. They're like, well, how do you know all this? Oh, we've got your walking stick. (laughs) Well, Well, how have you got that? Oh, perchance someone handed it in. Like they don't say, oh, he just sneezed mm. it out 10 minutes ago. But, it's, but in the books, uh, Watson is the one who's great at deduction and mm. Warlock is, uh, just uses sorcery and uh, demon oh, conjuring to get all this. Uh, but they are like really hilarious. So uh, that's a pretty good twist on them though. So Henry turns up and he's too Canadian. So Watson hates him because he's not British enough. <laughs> so those two are at loggerheads the whole time. And it's just... Uh, hilarious so yeah it, it's lovely mm. to take something so something you know inside and out mm. and suddenly turn it into something completely different and equally entertaining so yeah so go and check those out there's five of those books and they're amazing and i'll stop going on about them now but they'll be see you're saying that though we've got that in this is that uh sir henry's come from canada yeah um uh, unlike where Christopher Lee, where I think everyone just looked at Christopher Lee and just went, can we say he's come from Canada? No. 
he's got to have come from somewhere a bit more shitbaggy. So, so he's so he's a uh, he's been living in uh, colonial South Africa. So yeah, um, but I it's weird because I don't know. Like I really like Mortimer in this version. Mm. I really like. I love fucking Franklin. Yeah, um, but obviously, <laughs> but Franklin's played by a guy called Bernard Holsfall, who turns up in loads of old telly and everything. But with those huge bushy whiskers and everything, <laughs> I was just thinking of Rhys Shearsmith in the Christmas League of Gentlemen. <laughs> you know where it's the the old um, the Doctor Chinnery section where it's Victorian. Yeah. And as he comes in on that fucking wooden bicycle, right. quite oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I you. And yeah, he was very much like that. But I do, yeah, I think there's, yeah, the, Sir Henry, I'm a bit sort of like, eh, he's a bit, eh, a bit wishy-washy, bless him. Yeah. But then, but then I suppose kind of, I can't, re- I can't really remember what he's like in the book, but he does feel because of seeing Christopher Lee doing it, it does feel natural that you'd hire someone a bit more leading man because him and Watson go off and have their own sort of adventures. Mm. Um, but yeah, equally, so he, yeah. Yeah, so he needs to be a, a strong enough character to, to uh, effectively mm. carry it alongside Watson, yeah, whereas someone, yeah, possibly a lesser character might struggle to hold your, your interest, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, but overall, yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, and also a, a pretty understated hound as well. It's not too, mm. and it and it just does the thing. It's as they say in the book, it's phosphorus. Yeah. So yeah, I think that it's um, yeah. So after this, Chris, do you think you would you would watch more um, of the Jeremy Brett Holmeses? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's definitely well done. Um, well, the good thing—I yeah. mean, the good thing is the majority of them are just forty-five minutes. Mm, yeah, so this is this is one of the specials. So it ended up being like about uh, with adverts, it would have been like a two-hour special mm, yeah. on the on TV. Yeah, um, but yeah. So this, did you say? Did you say how many of these you've watched? Oh, I've, I've gone through all of them. Watched and rewatched these over the years. Mm. Um, Sarah is is a massive. For, sorry for for listeners. Sarah, my sister, is a massive Sherlock Holmes fan. That's mm. really where I got it from. Okay. And she had all the books. She had all the books, and she had a lot of them taped off the telly. And then between us, we basically bought them as they came out. See, I think uh, we kind of went slightly video. opposite. I think Jennifer was the fan, and that perhaps slightly put me off. It was like her thing. Yeah. So I, I just didn't ever get into it, really. I, it was, I probably saw it on TV occasionally, but uh, yeah. Yeah. I was treated I th- by Adam to this. Well, Jennifer and I, one Christmas, mm. Adam got us the complete box set of the, the Jeremy uh, Brett ones. Okay. Uh, and yeah, we've watched that entire box set through all 40-odd <laughs> episodes. I, I think we've watched it three times in uh, to completion so plus yeah. the, you know randomly picking out it you know some of the better episodes as well so yeah and that's the that's the thing as well is there's there's i was going to try and put one together but i think we did on the last episode anyway but there's a there is a few of the homes stories that are 
uh, kind of horror tinged or supernatural tinged, mm. um, which is the interesting thing I think with the Warlock Holmes, because obviously the like Hand of the Baskervilles, the whole point is that you've presented Holmes with something supernatural, and he's, but Holmes, he just doesn't have it. Holmes yeah. is supernatural, so. <laughs> yeah. But he just, he's just sort of like no, it's like that. Mm. I, I don't know if did they do it in this one where it's no ghosts need apply. Or he says no, something about no. I think they left that out of this adaptation. Oh, I think that's in the Sussex Vampire then, or something like that. But it's just at one point Holmes says, um, "No, the the material world is enough for us. This agency, mm-hmm. uh, no, this no, that's it. This agency exists within the the real world, and no ghosts need apply." <laughs> so, uh, so, so, so I mean, do we? So next, do we tackle? Uh, Sherlock or or Pete and Dad? Should we go Sherlock and then we can? Yeah, go a bit, yeah, yeah, a the bit craziness. funny at the end. Um, so Sherlock, I've got to admit, when it first came out, despite the fact it was Mark Gatiss, I didn't mm. want to watch it because because the Jeremy Brett version was so good. The idea well, of a modern retelling felt like corrupting too much. Yeah, I was like, yeah, you just can't. Okay. He, he is mm-hmm. a Victorian character. If you take him yeah. out of that, I don't see it working. So I didn't mm. watch it. Uh, but Jennifer and I went away for a week and Dean House sat. And when we got back, it was like 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. And he said, oh, I'm not going home now because Sherlock's dying in 10 minutes. So I'm going to watch uh, it at I've your house. I've got to watch it. <laughs> then you can take me home. So we're like, oh, if he's here, we'll watch it. And it was like the study in Scarlet episode. Um, yeah, and I'd watched it and I was like, I've been so wrong. Like, this is <laughs> yeah. fantastic. Mm. Um, See, when, they, when, I saw, when I first saw it announced that the BBC are doing a modern day Sherlock, I was the same. I was like, no, they can fuck off. And then it was like, oh, it's Stephen Moffat and Mark Gates. And it's like, ah, I'm going to have to fucking trust you bastards, aren't I? <laughs> no. It, it felt almost disloyal to the team, you know. It's like sort of, I'm a I'm a Doctor Who fan. I'm going to ignore this, you know. And it's sort of, but also it's that weird le- again a weird level of trust where it's like, uh, I mean, certainly from the Mark Gates point of view, I know how much he loves sort of Victorian stories and literature and things like that, and so I know that he would make that decision to do it modern you know it wouldn't just be the most obvious thing because mm. i think um they said they were thinking about it in terms of you know we'd said about how uh, the hammer version is the first one that was technically a period piece mm. because up mm-hmm. until then all the adaptions had just gone modern day because the story yeah. was recent enough that nothing had changed you know, it wasn't yeah. like you know, it wasn't rockets and cell phones or whatever like that. You know, they so, and um, yeah, so they were like of the opinion, well, the Basil Rathbone ones are set modern day, and Conan Doyle was writing them modern day. He wasn't writing something in, he wasn't writing it to appear Victorian. He was writing in the Victorian era, so mm-hmm. it, that's why it's the way it is. So, you know, they had, I thought, well, that's pretty good reasoning 
to do it modern rather than just people don't watch costume stuff. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, and I mean, obviously, and the other thing that was great was that they were so acutely aware of the stories that they wouldn't, um, what's the word for it? Uh, they they didn't want to just adapt the stories and update them. Mm. So it was never going to be the Hound of the Baskervilles exactly the same, but in modern in times. Modern times. Yeah. 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 So they went to the trouble of it's like, right, we need to. What would it actually be in modern times? Well, what would it yeah. be in modern times? But also, what do we need to change in terms of the plot so that yeah, all yeah. the Sherlock aficionados aren't sitting mm. there going, well, I know it's, I know yeah. that it's Stapleton. Mm. And so, and, and not just changing a name or whatever like that you know they mm. th- this has elements of um the it has elements of the story but they are all utterly different and all done in a different way yeah so for i mean obvious stuff like i mean it's still on dartmoor and the one thing is they did actually go and film as did i believe the jeremy brett version they do film mm-hmm. on dartmoor mm. so that landscape is so particular that I think they had to do it that way um, that does give it a certain feel doesn't it oh definitely mm. and you can you can see what must have inspired mm. Conan Doyle and yeah. um, and uh, uh, oh, wow I've managed to delete that information so but, <laughs> but the um, but so the stuff like you've got the great Grimp and minefield instead of the great Grimp and Meyer and um, obviously Henry in this is not a Baskerville. Uh, that's the name of the research center. And, yeah. you know, so but it's, it's, pro- again, project it's not, hound. yeah, it's, it's genius. The way they yeah. rework it and leave mm. everything in there. I, I, yeah. One of the things I loved it. They're almost like Easter eggs. If you don't know, yeah, if you've yeah. not read the books and don't know the original stories, you can just watch them and they're it outstanding. Wouldn't matter. Mm. Mm. But if you know them, you go, "That is so clever. It's so yeah. well thought out." Mm. Well, because you've got stuff in there, like you've got the the bit where he comes in with the harpoon. Mm. Yeah, right, actually, right. So, oh, go on. Yeah, that's the, that's a reference to a story called Black Peter, in which someone gets killed with a harpoon. Mm, so okay. they drop in. It, and also, like the bit, you know, the bit where they uh, Sherlock pretends that he's had a bet with John mm. to get information out of that guy, uh, out of the tour guide. Yeah, that is straight from a different story. That's from the Blue Carbuncle. Mm. Um, but they oh, literally yes. lift, with they the literally lift it verbatim. It's exactly the same as it's written in. The story they mm. do it that same sort of well come on then you know it's like well no all right well you've lost the bet there and <laughs> the fact that sort of homes you know they, they they've got that rep you know that sort of uh relationship where it's like right immediately i'm stepping into this oh yeah okay yeah we did have a bet yeah mm. and not no sort of what <laughs> now Martin Freeman again is another one when I heard they're doing it as a modern retelling and Martin Freeman is going to be Watson I was like nope 
that's not going to work. Not going to work. Not having it. But he's <laughs> yeah, genuinely he, fantastic. In they they do work well together as well. Yeah, like, you know it is good. But uh, so my I did have a problem early on. I was like, oh, I don't know. It felt a bit too mixed with seriousness and comedy. Like so, at home Holmes coming in with the harpoon, and it's like, what's he been up to? There's blood all over it. And the way he was presented to start with is, I just didn't warm to him hmm. and obviously to some degree hmm. you're not meant to like Holmes is uh you know separate from the rest of us so yeah. he, he is hard to fully you know be happy with but yeah and uh, but as it carried on I think I just I got used to it um but it did it felt a bit too jarring at first just that Did you not see this his, series Chris like I I I don't know if I saw a trailer for this or if I did actually watch it or watched some of it and perhaps was put off because of that again. Because I, I definitely remember seeing them in that room. Um, I didn't remember all, all of the details, uh, you know, about what it actually mm. was. Um, I don't know if you'd mentioned what it was, but yeah. So but I just, as I was watching, I was like, oh, he's, he's annoying. And I, I, in fact, this, I seem to remember this put me off benedict cumberbatch quite a lot because he sort he was quite big i guess when he was this was this one of his biggest yeah. roles at the time oh fuck what? i mean th- when when you say that you might have seen it mm. i can very much believe that you may never have even watched an episode because yeah. this yeah. was everywhere yeah it okay. really you know it well, was a fucking smash yeah because because shelly was really excited about it and i either Mm. she tried to get me to watch some of it and i was just like i don't really watch sherlock and Mm. i'm not just just isn't quite working for me i don't know there's something uh, so yeah uh, i think i think you could be right though i think in agreement with you chris and also what claire had said earlier i think benedict Mm. cumberbatch once you put him in sherlock in modern times he does come across like a prick a lot more than yeah. he does in the in the mm. older ones, where it's a lot more subtle and it doesn't seem so over the top. Whereas in this one, he is obnoxious at and, times. But he, he is yeah. absolutely. But also, I think there was just a little extra element of is he being serious or is it because it, it kind of makes him look a little bit silly with it, and it's like mm. oh, I just I just want him to either be one or the other, and it's... I just couldn't quite sort of decide where i was sitting with that but 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 where it started to really work i loved the end when he actually essentially played the science experiment on watson <laughs> like because that it was just i don't know by that point i'd completely got used to him and it was like yeah that's quite funny really because obviously see, you know what's see, happened but then when they when they replay it it's like yeah he's just sitting there watching <laughs> and that was just great and that that feels very true to the character yeah, yeah, you know he. he he's doing times... something that, yeah, just well, no one else is. For example, expected. there's a, there's a story that I absolutely one of the Conan Doyle stories that I absolutely like adore is one called The Dying Detective, mm. and basically Holmes pretends to be to have been poisoned mm. with a slow poison. And convinces everyone, Mrs. Hudson, yeah. Watson, yeah. that he is dying. Mm. And then tells Watson to hide in the corner of the room and brings the guy in who's poisoned him and manages to get him to confess. Mm. And he, uh, But obviously Watson's there, so he has a witness. Yeah. But again, you know, it's quite cruel. 
it, yeah, but you can Watson's see, like you can see. Look, I am, a, and yeah, but he's also oh. saying to him because at the start of it, he's going because Holmes, as he puts it at the end, is very sort of like, well, I couldn't let you near me mm. because you are a good doctor, mm, yeah, and you would yeah. have recognised that yeah. I'm made up. Actually, yeah, you know. Whereas at the start of it, he is basically saying to him, "No, you're a general practitioner. What do you know about?" Mm. you know odd you know uh, like, exotic yeah, poisons wait. and so, so you, you said that that did remind me a little bit of sherlock where he goes backwards and forwards very quickly so when um uh it's it's russell toby who actually acted mm. extremely well yeah. um yeah yeah he but again i think actually he brings out the heart of mm. what the because I I can't remember in the book how is Henry Baskerville is he particularly commanding or is he sort of fairly wishy washy or yeah no he is fairly he's he's quite quick to get to get stuck in with them he's not to, right. he's not so he's mm. he's kind of somewhere in between all of these really I mean he's yeah probably close it again not, not like the Pete and Dud no <laughs> he's probably closest to the Jeremy Brett version mm, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so again, but it's like you know, he's not a forceful character, and I think Russell mm. Tovey really brings out. But then, because of the way the story is, it's got to be a completely different thing. You know, he's someone yeah, who's been yeah. traumatized from a very young age and never, never got over it, mm. and yeah. you know, or never had any way of. And, and that absolutely comes it. across really, yeah. really well. He, no, he plays that yeah. so mm. well. And actually, that's one thing you definitely the I mean, everyone in everyone in this is, you know, brilliant in yeah, terms of, yeah. you know, everyone's very believable. I mean, I really like Amelia Bullmore as the doctor who's yeah. made her, rab her daughter's rabbit blow <laughs> in the dark. She's she's just got the right level of sort of like and callousness, yeah. mm. but not. But it doesn't. But it doesn't translate. She's doing to her something more important villain. than. Really. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't translate to her being uh, the villain. It's just no. she's that kind of. Well, she's she's a research scientist mm. at a fucking defense lab, so she's got to be a bit. <laughs> she's got to be a bit hard-hearted. There's enough there, there that that us, you know, normal people might think she's evil just because. Yeah, but without being like a caricature of a, you know, yeah. <laughs> like it's a very, it is like, yeah. a, you know, a per, the person who would take that job, you know, you're pretty standoff, yeah. but you're a yeah, person she's not really. You know? no, yeah. <laughs> but I also think that, um, and actually I do, um, Claire pointed out that only Mark Gatiss can do that face of the one bit that you do really see of Mycroft in this where, he's got the alert come through that someone's <laughs> using his ID to break yeah. into a thing. And it's just the, the look of, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> you know? um, just another thing very quickly I wanted to go back to when we were saying about uh, their relationship and the way that mm. in this version, home sometimes seems to be unfair to Watson, but it's normally for his own good. With with a purpose. Yeah. So if you yeah. watch the very first episode, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing it a bit because I haven't seen it for a long time. But if mm. I remember, so Martin Freeman, because he's been discharged, he has got a wound as he has in the in the mm. books, I believe. 
Um, yeah. So in the first episode, he goes everywhere with a cane. And Sherlock makes a comment about, you don't need that cane. It's psychological. And he sort of says, look, I'm a doctor and mm. you're not. And I need it. Yeah. And then he, make, he doesn't quite make it up, but he makes him go on a chase. And they're sitting in a cafe and he goes, right, we've got to go. And they dash out and <laughs> run halfway across London. And then after the chase is finished, the camera just goes back to the cafe and the cane's still there. Yeah. And it, it, it's just a kind of, he's he's got him out of it. And then suddenly it's like, well, you've done all that without it. You don't need to go back. So he's, yeah, he does sort of treat him badly mm. sometimes, but it's for his own good. It's all like to be kind. Always, yeah. Or, or it's to an end. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that is, to the end of, which again is something that, Conan Doyle's homes has he there is a coldness mm. there mm. you know he's not because this is the thing he is still considered quite mechanical and cold in the Victorian era mm. where we would probably go back and find everyone <laughs> a bit weird mechanical yeah. and he's still and above that and yeah. yeah and what say you sir <laughs> the, the other thing I, the thing I really like about this is um the fact they address the use of the word hound. Because yes. in all the others, it's unquestionable. But in this, it's kind of like, right, why didn't you not say dog? You didn't say wolf. Yeah. Mm. You said hound, which is an odd thing no one really uses mm. anymore. You know, no one, not, not anymore, but it's like, you know, it's a, a, an archaic term, I think, is mm. the phrase they use. And so I do love the fact that that's the reason he takes the case is because it's like, right, why have you said it like that? But they use the exact line of dialogue that all of these adaptions, even Pete and Dud, mm. have to stick with, which is the, the end of like, the cliffhanger line of chapter two is Mr. Holmes. They were the footprints of a gigantic hound. <laughs> and... All of them have it. Yeah. I think, it, it, or variances thereof, but it's in Hammer, it's in Pete Dudd, it's in Jeremy Bretts, and they include it in this one, but that becomes kind of key to the whole situation, where it's like, why did you say hound? Yeah. You know, and it's sort of, yeah. I, And again, they have a good reasoning, a good explanation and everything else like that. So it's sort of... I, I like the way that they picked the stories apart. Mm. And actually, I think that's where the series began to fall down, unfortunately, is that they, they sort of went off piste and were like, well, we can do our own plots. Yeah. And it's mm. like, yeah, but no, you would... Sorry, that's, that's just Little Britain. Yeah, but no. Um, <laughs> I say that all the time and then we like doing it. <laughs> But it is, yeah, it's sort of, no, you should please just stick to trying to keep, you know, just give me the devil's foot, but weirder or yeah. in a modern setting. And actually they do, the gas in this is probably, that's like the story of the devil's foot where it's uh, people are driven mad by this root that you burn and the gas that, get, that, that it gives off drives you mad or kills you. Mm. Um, and that's another one that's like a very supernatural tinged um, uh, home story. And I think that's the gas in this does kind of feel like a reference to that, even if it's just thematic rather than 
Mm. They don't say, oh, it's derived from the compound that is the devil's foot or anything like that. I did also like that he's saying, uh, Chris, about the the kind of comedic elements in it, you know. Uh, Yeah, I did love the signalling on the moor. I'd forgotten (laughs) all about that. I had. And when he was writing it down, I was like, that must stand for something. And I was like, I've seen this before. I must remember what it stands for. And it wasn't until he set off up the hill and immediately I was like, oh, yeah, I remember where that light's coming from. I had completely (laughs) forgotten it. Jennifer had as well. I totally had. (laughs) And, um, but again, just a brilliant little thing where it's like, for the, it's a nice little, it's a thing there that you can appreciate as a non- you know, as someone who doesn't know the stories. Mm. But if you mm. do know the stories, you're like, oh, that's going to be significant because that will mm. be the the equivalent of Selden. Yeah. Uh, the Notting Hill murder. Um, <laughs> that will be the equivalent of that. And then it's like, oh, no, it's Doggers. So... <laughs> <laughs> and I, I also love the sort of the embarrassed way Watson is as well, where it's like, what did you find out about the signals on the walls? Nothing. Well, I was thinking it's URLK, wasn't it? Nothing. Leave it. <laughs> <laughs> you almost get to the, it almost feels like it could be to the point of now I've got to explain dogging to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this was fantastic. Yeah, if you enjoyed this, Chris, it's definitely worth going back and checking out the whole of this series because it's Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, no, I, I mean I think I'd watch the first two series. I think it went a little. The first two series are about uh, about as perfect as I would say. Okay. So so where was this placed within those? Uh, This was the second episode of series two. Okay. So there are only three. There's only three stories per series, but they're feature length Mm. like this. So they're all an hour and a half. And so you've got the yeah. So there's the first three. Um, first series, I think they obviously adapt to study in Scarlet and they adapt, um, I think they adapt the sign of four actually, yeah, to mm. an extent. Um, and then, then there's a, uh, and then this series, they were like, right, we're going to do three of the big stories. So they did Scandal in Bohemia, but they called it Scandal in Belgravia, which is the story of the one woman who outsmarted Holmes. Mm. Uh, a hound of the Baskervilles and then they do the final problem which is where Moriarty uh, kills him yes so I'm pretty sure I did watch one of those actually because one of them is actually quite it's set very much like a horror there's like a house and it's dark um, and it's just the whole feel is very eerie Um, I seem to remember I don't know if that was in series three I, I can't remember. And th- and then weirdly, they actually did a Christmas special between series four and uh, three and four, mm. which was set in Victorian London. Mm. And I don't think, uh, I'm going to say a spoiler alert here, but the reason that it's done is it turns out it's actually Sherlock having a dream. <laughs> but, which is, again, kind of a reflection on where things go in series three and four of just sort of like that's a that's a bit lazy considering how good it's been 
up until now and then because they made a big deal of it they were like oh no we're doing it but it's not a bubble episode and it's not a charity special sort of thing or anything you know we're doing it properly and it is a proper story in Sherlock and then it's like oh but it's a dream that Sherlock's having I've got, like, I know oh, a lot off. I know a lot of people were disappointed with that but I liked I liked the I fact that it the kind episode. of got explained at the end because I was like how is this ever going to have happened and then when it's like Oh, we kind of imagined it all in his own mind as a way of working out a problem while he was mm. asleep, which I thought was fantastic. I thought, oh, yeah, no, that's that, that is the that is the key to it. And actually, it's a really enjoyable episode because they just really wrap, they obviously are really happy to have those tropes. Mm-hmm. Like they can go full Victorian, which I think is it, it's a bit having your cake and eating it because you've done modern, you've updated Sherlock Holmes to the modern era. But there's still a bit of you that wanted to have him in a handsome cab and, yeah. you know, smogbound London and, yeah. So, at, the, um, at the start of this, when they're looking at the newspaper and he's like, uh, what's in there when he's trying to find a case? Oh, look, there's a photo of you with your... Um, oh, dear you know, stalker. The cat, your dear stalker, yeah. yeah. Hmm. And oh, did, yeah, because that's, that's do... a running theme in it as well, is that uh, okay. at one point, I can't remember what it is, but I think they, they're just leaving a building and he picks up a hat to try and... Mm. disguise himself because there's loads of press outside and so they all take pictures of him in his hat and then everyone assumes that that's what he always wears a deer stalker (laughs) which is kind of a comment on loads of people thought that the character wore a deer stalker yeah yeah even though he didn't or he you know not not in all the stories or anything yeah yeah. it's not it's not a key fact Mm. because i mean again going back to jeremy brett that was one of the things he was keen to avoid because he was like Mm. So that's why his homes is just dressed as a Victorian as you would gentleman. In... Yeah. yeah. So, but, so <laughs> final thing before we leave this version, he, he is in the credits of this because you see his face very quickly, but he's not actually in it. Andrew Scott as Moriarty. When I mm. first, so again, spoiler alert, because you don't realise who he is in the earlier episodes. Uh, when I first saw him and saw that he was going to be Moriarty, I was like, that is the worst casting <laughs> I can possibly. He couldn't mm. look less like a Moriarty if he tried. But oh my God, does he amp it up when he plays him? Mm. He's just oh the most vicious, nasty human. But he, he can just do malevolence at a <laughs> level that nobody else is capable of. I was really, really surprised. I think that's the trouble as well, is because obviously in the final problem, Holmes supposedly dies mm. along with Moriarty dying. And in the Granada series, the Jeremy Brett one, that almost is something that is ticking over in the back of Holmes's head because that whole essence that you were talking about with him going through the paper and there must be a case and everything, that is the real driving factor in the stories as Conan Doyle wrote them of mm. Holmes is just like, bored yeah yeah he's really fucking clever and he has a really <laughs> useful brain that can be put to good use mm. in the right conditions but other than that he is a fucking nightmare because when he is bored he is beyond a prick yeah and in Kondal, obviously famously he's um he does cocaine while yeah, well, yeah so I thought I, th- I was wondering because obviously the way he's acting at the start of this it's like 
I wasn't sure what he was looking for. And obviously it turned out it was the smoke. But yeah, but it gave the impression of being something else. Which which again is sort of like to hark back to that. Because I mean, interestingly enough, there's like there's a lovely adaption they do in one of the home stories. He refers to it as a three-pipe problem, which means that he's going to have three um, three smokes of his pipe to ponder uh, it over, yeah. and he will have the answer. <laughs> in in an episode of uh, Sherlock, he declares something a three-patch problem, mm. and he's got three <laughs> nicotine patches yeah. because he's trying to give up smoking all the time. And so they sort of they swap the one drug for the other. Mm. Um, and, and, and you know, I think. I don't know quite what the legality was of cocaine in Victorian London, but it was nowhere near as prohibited or prescribed yeah. a mm. substance as it well, is it, now. it was in Coca-Cola at one point, wasn't it? So it can't have been yeah. too yeah, it was, illegal. I mean, that's the that's the thing that I see. I see lots of people. Um, I, I see lots of memes where it's people saying, "I wish I was. Uh, I wish I was back in the Victorian age where my depression would be." Uh, my depression would be treated with cocaine and vibrators. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the old um, days where you could just put a couple of drops of laudanum in your wine and it was perfectly legal. You'd pop down the shop yeah. and get it. And uh, yeah, so there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff there, but I do think that what happens, unfortunately, is yes, you kill off Sherlock and that creates a buzz. Then you bring Sherlock back. And there's no way to bring Moriarty back. And Moriarty mm. is a massive fucking hole once he's gone. Yeah. Mm. And actually, to the, to the point where they have to kind of fake bring him back in sort of via old recordings and things like that, uh, just to have his presence there. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, yeah. And that's why, and that's why, when it's things that Sherlock fears when they're being gassed, that's Moriarty under the uh, gas mask. Yeah, yeah. When he okay. first, you know, you know, when he first pulls it off, and then yeah. you realise that it's um, uh, Doctor Franklin. Mm. Um, but yeah, but yeah, the, Andrew Scott's performance is just—I mean, the uh, the episode where he he goes to visit Sherlock and he sits there peeling the apple with that knife. And it mm. all starts off very calm. And the more angry, it gets to the point where he's almost crying with anger as he's telling Sherlock how much he hates. It's just an incredible performance. Absolutely mm, yeah. amazing. So, yeah, I want to see more Andrew Scott on TV. He did a good episode of Black Mirror, I believe. Oh, right. If I remember correctly. I don't think I've seen that one. Is it Black Mirror? No, sure. it might have been something else. It was an episode where he was in a car and he'd hijacked it and he had a he had somebody in the back and he was keeping them hostage and the police had turned up. It does say it does say he was in, I brought him up on IMDb, it does say that he was in Black Mirror, so it could have been oh, yeah, that. So it could have been smithereens. Yeah. But I yeah. don't think I've seen that one. Oh. It, it, it's, it, it's just him and one other person, basically, and it's really, mm. really good. So, yeah. Um, it's funny, yeah. Um, you're saying like, about how Sherlock goes out of his mind if he hasn't got something to you know, focus his mind on. But it's interesting mm. that he wants to work on his own. Like he can't like um Mycroft works for is it MI MI6? Mycroft basically, yeah, the head of MI5. MI5, yeah, okay. Um and but yeah, but obviously Sherlock has difficulties working with other people. 
because obviously if he worked for an organization like that he would essentially never be bored because he'd always have so much <laughs> access to so much information and um you know things but that I need think to be sold be but he just can't the- yeah because he just cannot d- deal with being told what to do by anyone else like well, it's that also, conflict also i think i don't i think sherlock ha- sherlock holmes like the character has too much of a sense of justice to be able to work like Mycroft mm. because there is, because it's sort of underhand and like about politics as much as everything else. So it's like, oh, well, we will capture that person, but we will give them back. Whereas Holmes would be, sort of, no, he should be locked up. He's yeah. a murderer mm. or whatever. And actually there's a lovely scene in Conan Doyle that comes out in all of the serious adaptions where Holmes is very keen on justice, not necessarily the law. Yeah. So he will fight for people. A lot of the cases are more about proving someone innocent Mm. than they are about discovering a guilty party. But also there are times when it's like, you've done, you know, you've done your penance or I don't think that there's anything wrong here. Mm. I don't think we need to trouble. Like there'll be sort of people where it's like, I murdered the man who murdered my wife. And he'll be a bit sort of like, well, I know why you've done that. And I understand that. And I don't think the police need to be bothered with that. <laughs> yeah. But that, is, that is essentially like, he's almost so egotistical that he is above the law. Even oh, if yeah. it's, even if it's being done for what, you know, you could look at and say, yeah, that's a good reason. It's, it's understandable, mm. almost, you know, surprisingly from a human perspective. But yeah, it is a little bit like a, yeah, I'm so important that, you know, I don't need to follow those rules that everyone else has to follow. Yeah. And I think that's why he couldn't work with Mycroft. Yeah. Mycroft yeah. is, a, a lot of it is compromise and yeah. bullshit mm. and propaganda yeah. and... Mm. Yeah, politics, it would just be too sort of stifling. Back, for, yeah. In, in, in the wrong, out. in the other way. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas with this, it's like, I have a problem to be solved. Mm. And, and in a lot of ways, there's an element to it where some of them, it's like, right, the problem is solved. Thank you. I don't think that you need to be answerable for this. Mm-hmm. Or I don't think this person needs to be punished any further. Mm. Or, you know, it's sort of it's an interesting sort of moral center to Holmes, because otherwise I think he would just be too calculating. Mm. And that's and oddly enough, that's when you do get to Mycroft, really, is because Mycroft is and in it, book, it's got an element of sort of evil uh, well, to him, but it it's or or uncaring, I suppose. Well, because there's an interest. Well, there's it's like a callousness that mm. I think you need to have. But yeah. interestingly enough, the way that they did, um, and this is not really a spoiler for you, Chris, if you're going back to watch. Um, but in the first episode, you don't know who Mycroft is. Mm. You just know okay. that he talks to John and tries to recruit John to keep an eye on Sherlock, uh. and he only goes by the name M. So everyone's like, oh, it's Moriarty. He must be Moriarty. (laughs) And then actually, no, he's Mycroft. Yeah. And it's his brother trying to keep him in check. And it's it's funny how it's not obvious. You'd think that should be immediately obvious that it's not. And yet, clearly, you know, there is some overlap between them. 
Although at that point, there was a part of me that was thinking, that's fucking arrogant, mate, if you've made yourself Moriarty. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean, it's slightly arrogant to suggest that you are related to Benedict Cumberpatch. (laughs) But, yeah, it would have been a big ask for you to to be essentially like the devil, for you to be the joker of of Sherlock. Mm-hmm. I think it would be, yeah, I don't think that would have worked. I think it would be far too arch. Whereas, like you say, with Andrew Scott, it's almost, it's weird because he's sort of like quite playful and restrained and then animal vicious. Mm. You know, he's really sort of, yeah. Oh, right. So from there, I think that we need to cover, obviously, the truest <laughs> truest to the spirit of Conan this, Doyle. This must be the truest Sherlock Holmes. Oh yeah, like, I think that, character. I think, ever. Yeah. Oh yeah, because obviously everyone famously knows that Watson's Welsh. <laughs> what a so, fantastic yeah. cast on this one! So the Peter <laughs> yeah. Dad, uh version. So we've got Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, obviously. Denham Elliott. Irene Handel, yep. Terry Thomas, Max Wall, yeah. Roy Kinnear, Keith Williams. It's just it's just a mm. dream cast, isn't it? It's, a, yeah. a, you know, British TV from the 1970s. It's, That's why it seemed funny that I'd, I'd never heard of it before. It seems like it should have been played, and especially because it's not, um, it is a PG, like you said. So I would have thought I would have just randomly seen it on TV at some point. It doesn't have a particularly great rep, but a lot of comedy... It's a weird thing because I think, particularly with film comedy, I think that there is... Things lose lose critical appeal on basis of... Right, so it's a comedy film. It's meant to make you laugh. Whereas it's like, well, you know, they didn't really have... You know, it did, the plot didn't hang together or whatever like that. And it's like, yeah, but look at Airplane. Mm. Yeah. yeah. The plot doesn't have to fucking hold together because it just is fucking funny. It, every, essentially, it just needs to be, each scene needs to be, yeah, entertaining. Yeah. Or, or funny. But, but yeah, so, I mean, it was a, so it was a, it was a flop on release. Mm. Um, and because what happened was, is it's directed by a guy called Paul Morrissey. And mm. he was, a director who worked with Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol wanted to start doing experimental films, but Andy Warhol didn't have the in you know the boredom threshold mm-hmm. or probably the talent to be a good experimental director or, or even just a, a competent film director. Mm. So Paul Morrissey kind of was the guy in charge of the of Warhol's factory from a visual sort of sense. And actually Mm. he was the one who came up with the idea that you could promote bands, which is how you end up with the Velvet Underground doing the, like having an Andy Warhol album cover. Mm. And he was the one who introduced and said, we should put Nico in the band because Nico was already involved with Warhol and stuff like that. Um, And so he did, he did loads of, he did loads of Warhol films like Chelsea Girls and Trash, uh, Women in Revolt, and he also did the two Warhol horror movies, um, Flesh for Frankenstein and Blood for Dracula with Udo Kier, mm. um, which I can honestly say I have never seen. 
Um, and well, partly because it's not been that available, but also just, yeah, I don't know. No, I might, I'd, I'd, I'd watch them for free, but I'm definitely not making the effort. No, I'm is the sure way I currently feel about it. I could be missing out on something spectacular, but I <laughs> kind of don't think I am. I've always so anyway, assumed so... they're going to be more art than horror, so I've never, never ventured it's... into them. It's not so much that. I think, I don't know, they just sound a bit sort of odd. And this is odd coming from me. They sound a bit lurid. You know? <laughs> so, but, um, and then he sort of parted ways with Warhol in 75. And this is the first film he did post Warhol. Um, but like you were saying about like One Leg Too Few was a famous Pete and Dud sketch mm. that they'd already done. And I, again, I'll send you a clip of it, Chris, because. The original is probably the original makes more sense because okay, yeah. the original is um, he's applying for the role of Tarzan, and Pete is the film director, and Mr. Spaggett comes in, Spaggett by name, Spaggett by nature, <laughs> and he's like, "Well, and you, a one-legged man, are applying for the role of Tarzan." <laughs> A role in which traditionally <laughs> two legs would seem to be the minimum requirement. And so, but Paul Morrissey, like, had sort of was, they were like, oh, you know, this guy's worked with Warhol. So they were kind of thinking, oh, this will be quite, you know, this will be quite art, uh, you know, mm. arty, but still we can sort of work with it and whatever like that. Paul Morrissey is a massive carry on fan. So he was like, mm. no, I want to get in. Like people like Kenneth Williams, yeah. Because so, there's not actually that many. There's not many many carry-on stars in it, but I mean, obviously, you've got Kenneth Williams in there, um, and he kind of wanted them. He basically rewrote the script, putting in their old sketches, mm. and then gave himself a writer's credit. And I don't <laughs> think that went down too fucking well. Um, and that was kind of so. That's so you've got this weird thing of like. So for Pete and Dud fans, it's like, oh yeah, but that sketch is probably better in this form mm. than it is appearing in the movie. So it's but I mean, it I... seemed a bit silly. What what I think for some reason why it stood out, it was almost the bit where he was playing his best version of Sherlock, where he was actually explaining something mm. kind of useful. Yeah, rather rather than just <laughs> in, in a way, even though it yeah. Because actually, I mean, there's that, you know, the bit where he's saying about, you know, when it's the start with the nuns mm. and they're saying about who's responsible. Uh, no, what is it? Uh, so you would say that criminals are responsible. Oh, no, criminals are not responsible at all. They're terrible people who commit crimes. <laughs> and, th and again, that's dialogue from uh, Peter Cook had this character called Sir Arthur Greeb Streetly, who... Mm. Whichever way it went, when Pitt, Dud would be the interviewer and it'd be like, I'm here with Sir Arthur Greaves Streamling, Stream Greaveling. And then he would, whichever one Dud did, he would switch it to the other one. So uh. Sir Arthur Greaves Streamling or Sir Arthur Street Greaveling. And he was basically the sort of very, um, well, a sort of typical Tory sort of lord figure. And, um, yeah, he was, and that comes from a sketch of his when he got made the head of police. And it's like, would mm. you say that criminals are responsible? Oh, no, criminals are far from responsible. They're terrible people and they 
commit all kinds of felonies. And um, so there's like little lines like that. And even the bit where it's, um, oh, did you drag yourself up on deck? No, we dressed quite yeah. casual. <laughs> That's actually a line from an old Kenneth Williams sketch. Um, Jennifer, from, he used to, Jennifer yeah. laughed so hard. It was one of those, she didn't laugh really hard. It's a really fucking hard. brilliant joke. I don't, yeah. I don't begrudge them putting that in. <sighs> she laughed Not a little bit. But then she carried on laughing for a just, good five minutes. She just never well, quite got I, over the. I job. think. I think. But that's what I really liked about this. There was that one particularly, and lots where I just wasn't really expecting them to make a joke out of it. And I don't know if it's because I was in a, you know, a semi-serious Sherlock kind of yeah state of mind. And it's just every time they did one of those literal switches, I was like, it's just great. It just well, also, and it's lovely the amount of. And a lot of it is there's there's a lot of bros in there, such as uh, there was a man sigling on the moors. Was he in code? Yes, it was Moore's code. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but again, just so I I love the surreality of it, where it's like the like the rising damp that is literally paddling. Yeah. When, when, uh, like, and the fact that the Barrymores, it's never really sort of stated, but the fact that the Barrymores have basically taken over the place, and it's like, right, don't give us any jip. <laughs> you know, we, you know we live get old of us if you want to, don't you? No, good, right, good, good night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when From she goes through all the times of his life, right, we, yeah, between <laughs> those two times, anything. And also, um, I mean, again, so you've got Maxwell and Irene Handel are just fucking perfect as just as a, a belligerent old couple mm. <laughs> you know so, and and claire was in fits because of irene handel's mispronunciation to sound posh <laughs> it's like well you two detectives <laughs> <laughs> um but but like we say the the strangest thing is still follows the plot of mm, yeah and the basket feels quite closely <laughs> Also shot in uh, Oakley Court as well, which yes, you know, lots yes. of Hammer films. Rocky Horror was shot mm. there, and uh, yeah, House in Nightmare also, Park. Oh, I've still not seen that. I really have to. It is good, um, but yeah, I mean, so <laughs> so the one thing I think as well is we have to talk about Sherlock's mother. <laughs> As played by Dudley Moore to absolute <laughs> perfection. Mm. To, interesting enough, she's called Ada, and apparently that's Dud's mum's name. <laughs> so it's just an impression of his mum. We know that. <laughs> we can see the... But, oh, my God. I mean, that is just worth it for price of admission alone. Mm. It's the it's... switch <laughs> character that makes me laugh, the... Oh, you've come round here to steal food from an old woman. You can have anything you want from me, dear, you know. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> don't don't talk about death in front of Iris. <laughs> and, and I mean, it's just... Oh. Her turning up at the end to rescue him as well because she's worried about Watson is just genius, I mean. Where, where's Watty? <laughs> you've had a row, haven't you? And it's just the um, oh, and um, the the I don't know what it is, but the line that always gets me is is, and my brother came round, yeah. drunk as a lord. 
<laughs> and, and when when and when she hits the um when she oh, hits yeah. the psychic, yeah. I like to strike a happy medium. <laughs> As you say, it's got loads of those groany jokes in it, but it's just uh, it's it's just fantastic all the way through. Like the you say mm. the the comedy. When he, he says I'll be in disguise and he's just put on a terrible false beard, and he says, Oh, we've got to find him without you know, without drawing attention to ourselves. Holmes! Yeah. <laughs> I'm behind you, Watson. <laughs> that accent also... we've got to address that Welsh accent because it mm. bled in because we watched this one and then we watched the Jeremy Brett one. And it was the moment when they're sitting round at, uh, at the Northumberland Hotel and he says, I'm afraid I'm indisposed and I won't be able to come. I suggest my friend Watson. And I was just waiting for, oh, no. <laughs> oh, not me, no. <laughs> I think because that's the, that's the key to this as well, is I do, I do feel that they did much in the same way as I felt that uh, young Frankenstein is Mel Brooks and some friends watching the Universal Frankenstein films mm. and just lobbing their own ad libs in and stuff like <laughs> yeah. that. Because when you watch any of the others, there are certain key points where you just put in the bits from uh, from the Pete Dunn version. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 uh, Terry Thomas. How have we not talked mm, about yeah, Terry Thomas yeah. already? He's Who, just wonderful in this. Who, for my money, is probably out of all the ones we've watched, he's probably my favourite Dr. Mortimer. Because <laughs> oddly enough, he could almost be in the Hammer version. It doesn't feel too odd that he would be. Um, and, and also, that's where you get the, uh, the footprints of a gigantic hound and big eyes, enormous <laughs> eyes, and great big sexual organs. <laughs> <laughs> and and even in the credits and and a brief appearance from Spike Milligan. Yeah. Yes. That, yeah. Oh, that where it should drive on Perkins. Drive on Perkins. Drive on Perkins. <laughs> and then he's hanging what up the side of the car and confused by he just he just does slapstick like nobody else, that guy. He's Fantastic. He isn't actually credited on IMDb as being in it, which I've just spotted. Is he not? No. I did, actually, it was, what is it he says when the car slams into him? And me only married a month. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just fucking. Oh, it's just beautiful. And I think, yeah, this is a film that I recommend to anyone. And I do know, I understand why. I understand the problem of film critics with some film comedy because they don't like stuff that doesn't have a strong narrative or whatever like that. And I think that's unfair because this does have a strong narrative because it is the fucking narrative of yeah. the past of it. Yeah. Um, and then it just gets lost in its own fucking madness. <laughs> and actually, I mean, Kenneth Williams is brilliant in it. Yeah. Mm, he yeah. really is. I mean, there's not there's not a dud person in it, but yeah, but he, yeah, I think he sort of because re weirdly enough, um, Peter Cook used to be a scriptwriter for Kenneth Williams before mm. Peter Cook got famous, and I do 
I can't remember what it is, but there was like I've, there's a really good um, biography of Peter Cook, and um, in that they were sort of like saying about that uh, Kenneth Williams was one of the few people that Peter Cook would defer to, mm. like in just in sort of social settings or whatever like that. Peter would like to be the one making everyone laugh, but. Kenneth Williams also would like to be the person yeah. who's entertaining everyone. He was one of the few people where Peter Cook would just let him get on with it. It's allowed, um, yeah. And I think I think they I think they do much the same here. But yeah, it's his line. Talking <laughs> about the the, the one liners that just make you giggle for the whole rest of the film, even ten minutes after when uh, Max Wall and uh, Roy Kinnear are doing the signalling from underneath yes. their coats. And there's Keith, where Kenneth Williams walks up the stairs, he says, I'll show you a flash to make your hair curl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even, even down to that, where it's like there's a man flashing on the moor. <laughs> and and that, that's accurate to the story, but obviously they've turned it into a flasher back. <laughs> and it's like... And the fact... And what is it when... And they introduce Roy Kinnear as uh, their daughter. Oh yeah! Oh yeah. It's like, yeah! There's something very strange about the Balaman's daughter. <laughs> this, what was it, the way she was stabbing the table? Yeah. <laughs> oh. And obviously, and and weirdly enough, and this is this goes again. Spoiler alert! But this this oddly go just goes for fuck it. They all did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and interestingly and... enough, um, uh, what's her name? Um, uh, Joan Greenwood, who plays Beryl. Mm. And obviously you've got the weird exorcist stuff going on and everything. Mm, yeah. Um, she was married to Andre Morel. So we have a link to the to the hammer, the hammer mm. hound there. Um, and obviously and a, per, a person who, the, the only other person other than Fenella Fielding who sounds like that. <laughs> oh yeah it's just oh it's it is one of those i think you as you say it's got a terrible imdb score that does um, seem yeah. weird i can't really see what there is it, to not like no no it's <laughs> so much fun i've watched this film probably a dozen times mm. if not more and you know i said to you just before we started recording i didn't think jennifer would want to watch it so i watched yeah. this one and then mentioned to Jennifer that we were covering it. And she said, oh, I'll watch that with you. So I watched it again the next night. And yes, mm. found it it's just still as good. funny the yeah. second time. <laughs> well, this, interestingly enough, and this is kind of my answer anyway, but Claire said that she had a hashtag ask welcome to horror. Remember that? Remember that, kids? <laughs> it, was bit, it was big in 2018. Um, <laughs> and um, it was what version, because like you, you were saying, Lee, about, you know, it's been an intense couple of weeks. We know the mm. fucking plot. Backwards, forwards, and adapted. We are... So we are quite filled with The Hound at the moment. What is the one that you're going to re-watch first? Mm-hmm. And it's definitely going to be Pete and Dud for me. I know that. <laughs> yeah. I know it's going to be the... It's the most <laughs> obvious one. Unless I went on a mad... Because it would have to be part of a whole rewatch of Jeremy Brett or even a whole rewatch of Sherlock. Mm. But I do think that probably the version I will watch next uh, like will be the oh yeah, I'll dig that out. It's probably gonna be the Pete and Dud version. 
I've watched it twice in the last week, <laughs> and I could very easily just there's, put it on tonight when we finish. There's no the sign of slowing down yet. No. <laughs> It's oh, it's just great. It, as you say, it is. It, it's a coherent story, but they do feel like a series of sketches, and it's yeah. just. But and, and all the characters are just so good in their own right. Like even um, Hugh Griffith. I don't think we mentioned him. Franklin. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's. He was very funny. Yeah. I think you're a very rational man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're knobbing me around. <laughs> And um, yeah, there's it's the um, there's uh, what is it with um, like Denim Elliot and the pissing dogs, yeah, <laughs> where they're just just constantly <laughs> and and actually, I love the I love the little touch about the woman who was the last person to see uh, <laughs> Sir Charles alive, and it's the woman who is squatting in the outside lavatory, yeah. <laughs> But the fact that they open the door and she just holds the bowl up in a sort of like, oh, like, don't splash me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's funny because we watched this and then the next day, obviously, it was really foggy out Mm. uh, Mm. here in sunny Essex. Yeah, and one of our friends did put in a WhatsApp group. It's very foggy out and Jennifer messaged back, fog on the moors clear skies indoors and he went what are you talking about <laughs> I hope she just left it there mysteriously <laughs> yeah she did actually because <laughs> I, I love that effect actually I think that's just brilliant when they open the door <laughs> it pours out yeah. pouring out and they've just yeah so um, anyway yeah. So- and, and speaking of um, multi-talented as well obviously dubbed did the entire score himself. I meant to mm. mention that. I loved the score in this. I thought it was mm. brilliant. Really, He really, really good. goes for it with the sort of silent, um, like it's almost like he wanted to do it like it was when there was piano accompaniment to a silent film. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's got that real sort of, you know. So was that him, sort of was he actually place. playing the piano correctly at the beginning then? Yeah. Yeah, Doug. Dud, it was a uh. extremely talented musician, mm. and he actually had a jazz trio. Um, and yeah, he's like really uh, a, a really amazing pianist who mm. also abused it for comic effect. <laughs> so, and um, and the, actually, the version the version that we saw, which was the um, I think it's like the theatrical cut or whatever, like that. Um, the other the other version doesn't have um, those sort of end bits of him coming around the piano with his flies undone and uh, starting uh, starting playing it. That's that's sort of like the new that's the unusual bits that's in there. Mm. I think that's about. It. I think the rest of it was sort of like stuff that was taken out. There was just like sort of crap reaction shots and things like that that mm. just don't really didn't really help. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah, so, right, we can put this to bed now. We are yeah. all done with the Hand of the Baskervilles. It's been a fantastic apart journey. From, oh. Apart from one thing, because on. I must mention it. And the CGI shocking at the end of Sherlock. Yeah. That CGI hound looks, fucking, looks like first-generation Tomb Raider. 
<laughs> and that's that's not a, that's not that's not a real complaint or anything, but it's just it's just to prove to you, oh yeah, this is ten years old now. Yeah. yeah. Because you're like, wow, that's fucking shonky. That would never go out like this. <laughs> that, that was probably the worst time, wasn't it? When they were trying to use effects that just weren't really there, but it felt like a good idea to, to use them at that time. See, I think that's the weird thing overall, is that when you look at like the, ha- the Hammer version, they just put a big fucking mm. sheepskin mask on a yeah. dog. Yeah. On a, yeah. And then... The, they just animate the glow in the Jeremy Brett version. Mm. This version just it comes on with Ada Holmes and is just a big, lovely, old, soppy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they obviously were like, right, we do need to show. Like, yeah. I think they felt a need that it's like, right, we've got to show a devil dog. Mm. You know, whatever we do with Hounds of the Baskers, we've got to show. And it was like, yeah, unfortunately, that was. It was better when it was just a shape in the shadows a bit. Um, yeah. American Werewolf. Yeah. Because the bits where it's stalking around the Dell almost feel like those bits in the underground in American Werewolf where you just get glimpses of something or, fuck me, that's huge, whatever the fuck that is. Yeah. Mm. And then, yeah, it's a slightly rubbish CGI dog, unfortunately. And to think, you know, as you say, only 10 years ago, if you watch something like yeah. um, His Dark Materials, where the, the animals in there are absolutely incredibly well done, but really, mm. really good. Mm. Um, so, yeah, just goes to show you if it's it, it, how, quick, how quickly it's come along. It's terrifying to think what it's going to be like in 10 years, actually. You won't be able to tell the difference. You barely can. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. But we've got that to look forward to. Right. So... <laughs> We've rattled on far too seriously long enough again. So thanks ever so much uh, for listening, everybody. Uh, for our next episode, we're going to be doing Adam's birthday choice. Adam, would you like to reveal Ooh. your birthday choice? I certainly would. Adam's birthday choice is John dies at the end. So, <laughs> yeah, there Sound you go. Effects there by Claire. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're getting we're picking up everything. <laughs> so all those farts you've been doing. <laughs> but yeah, we yeah, John John dies at the end. Can't remember what year it's from, but I'm just interested to it's one I'm interested to rewatch and I'm also interested to see uh what Chris thinks, which is pretty much every fucking film we bring up on here. So it's kind of, yeah, that is our fault. <laughs> yeah. It could now, yeah, does John die format. at the end? Um, no, he, I think he dies somewhere in the middle. Uh, oh, 2012. So the same as Sherlock. Ooh, oh. That's interesting. And, and featuring, and can I just say, I guarantee featuring better fucking CGI. <laughs> <laughs> Even on its stupid low budget. But yeah. Yeah. Mm, excellent. Right. Anyway, thanks ever so much for listening, everybody. Uh, go and watch every adaptation of uh, Hand of the Baskerville. Go and read the book. It's surprising... I've not read any Sherlock in a long time. I'm surprised how modern a book it still feels, to be honest. Mm. Um, it's so it's well written. extremely readable. Mm. Conan Doyle stuff is, yeah, never, it never feels a struggle. It's just, you're just reading. Yeah. You don't have to make allowances for time or archaic language or anything. It's just beautiful. Yeah. 
wonderful stuff. Uh, and go and check out John Dies at the end, and we will see you all in a fortnight's time. Thanks ever so much for listening, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night.